I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 309. And today in the show, we're chatting with a Wired to Hunt listener named Luke Brewster who just so happened to kill the largest deer ever killed by a hunter last year. And we find out what happens when an everyday average hunter gets struck by whitetail lightning. While I got you here before we start the main show, just want to give you a little heads up. We've got a long introduction today. It's almost a two-part podcast. Part two is with Luke Brewster, and we're talking about this experience he had. Part one is getting to chat with my co-host Dan about his South Dakota mule deer hunt and a little bit about an upcoming hunt of mine. So if you want to get just to the Luke Brewster portion, you can fast forward about an hour. But if you want to hear our stories, stick around. It's a good one, but a long one. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And uh, I'm here with... My good buddy, my brother from another mother, the man with a bigger beard than me and one less finger, Dan Johnson. <laughs> I just trimmed my beard too. Does it look sharp? It looks good. My wife actually walked by me and said, you don't look so disgusting anymore. <laughs> so That's good. I had a big one, you know, like the the uh, upper lip, the mustache part of it was coming way down over top of the, over my lip. So uh, it, I was getting food in it all the time. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, just like the, it was a man's beard. It was awesome, but I, I had to trim it. I understand that. When are you, uh, when are you going to drop you the hammer? Understand? Yeah. Oh, I totally understand that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I got a man's beard. What are you talking Good. about? Good. When Good. are you, when are you dropping the hammer though? Um, are you going to drop the hammer? I don't know. I didn't drop the hammer last year. No. For those uh, that, for those that don't know, Dan drops the hammer usually right around the rut each year by by trimming his beard into a Fu Manchu of sorts. Right. Right. So and, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to drop it or not uh, this year. Uh, I, I usually drop it once a year and I can't remember if I already dropped it this year. I think I, did I drop it on my elk hunt? I can't even remember. I don't think so. Okay. No, well, no, you didn't. You well, should. I, someone, someone, maybe I'll drop it on November 1st. Yeah. Someone told me I should drop the hammer this year. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to do yeah. matching Fu Manchus for the rut? <laughs> uh, 
Um, maybe it depends on, uh, like, I don't know. I, I like it, but now I'm starting to get old. Right. So I have white hair in just one side of the, the hammer. So <laughs> it just looks really, it just looks really weird. Oh, well guarantee if I did it, the whole thing would look really weird. So <laughs> you don't need to feel bad. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So Dan today, yes, um, yes. want to do a bunch of stuff today. Um, we are going to talk about a little bit about your South Dakota mule deer hunt. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit about my Boundary Waters backcountry whitetail hunt, which I'm leaving for tomorrow. But we also have like a main guest on the show too. And that part is, it's a different kind of show than we've done in the past typically. Um, we usually don't ever talk about like world record deer. We're usually not like chasing interviews with people who killed some huge high scoring deer. Like we've never, never done that on the Wired Hunt podcast. Um, and so this show is different because we're not typically talking about that kind of thing. But today we, we sort of are, um, you know, on a lot of past episodes, we talk with people who maybe have, you know, they've got pursuits for certain size deer. And like you and I, Dan, of course, we enjoy chasing big old bucks. And we talk about that. And we've got our own goals sometimes. And sometimes we talk about size of deer. Sometimes we talk age of deer. Sometimes we're talking about just the circumstances of the situation. Um, but we've never really gotten to the whole scoring hysteria other than talking about sometimes the concerns around it, potential negative. Referencing. Yeah, referencing, referencing. It, negative yeah. aspects of that um, and how it can all go too far, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. So that said, though, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with big bucks. They're exciting. They're cool. We we get geeked out about it. You get a big buck on trail camera. You're excited. I'm excited. Um, that's just not what we've been mostly focused on here. But right. last year, a hunter, a guy named Luke Brewster, he killed a giant buck out in Illinois. And the, the pictures were going all over the internet. I remember seeing it and thinking, wow, that is a crazy looking deer. Um well, in January, news broke that this deer was the new world record, the highest scoring, biggest deer ever killed by a deer hunter ever in the world. And with a bow, with, too, right? Uh, yes, he killed it with a yeah. bow. But this is bigger than any buck even killed with a gun, too. Yeah. Um, non-typical. And I remember hearing that story, and someone, like, I can't remember, it might have been, I was going to Mexico for that coos deer hunt. And one of my buddies, like the news came through. It was like the day the news went live at the ATA show or something. Someone's like, oh man, you got to get that guy in the Wired Hunt podcast. And I was like, nah, that's not really our thing. Um, but like a week or two later, Spencer Newharth got in touch with me and said, hey, I ran into Luke at the show. And he came up and talked to me and said like he's a huge Wired Hunt podcast listener and basically learned in part how to hunt from listening to this podcast. Oh, nice. And so that got me interested. I was like, wow, that's, that's really interesting. So I reached out to the guy and just like, was kind of like, Hey, what's, what's the deal? I heard that you've been finding, you know, the podcast helpful and everything. And he basically explained that, yeah, he's a new hunter and he kind of figured it out by checking out resources like this, listening to you and me talk about deer and all of our guests and stuff. And then he kind of got struck by lightning and ended up killing this once in a lifetime deer. So that got me intrigued. You know, what happens in that situation? What happens when a normal, unsuspecting hunter, a new hunter, uh, a member of the Wired Hunt community, someone just like you or me or our listeners, what happens when that person heads into the woods one day and ends up killing the biggest deer of all time? You know, how does that change your next week? How does that right. change your next hunting season? How does that change your life? Um, 
I don't know. Is that a cool thing? Is that awesome? Or does that become a negative thing? I mean, I can imagine all sorts of scenarios. Um, I mean, all that attention, all the social media hysteria, is that overwhelming or is that fun? Is killing the biggest deer of all time, is that that like an uplifting experience or is that toxic? Um, That's Well, especially in today's – Yeah, so especially in today's society where on social media people are only reading headlines, right? So you come across world's largest buck killed in Illinois. Then automatically people go high fence. Outfit, oh yeah. Right. You know, they're like poached, uh, whatever must be nice to have be rich or whatever. And they're not, they don't, they don't want to hear the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very easy for that stuff to get nasty. And I mean, I think you and I have even experienced some of that on a, on a micro level, you know, with our own things yeah. going on and the negativity around it. Um, so I was just, that's what I've always wondered. Like what, what happens when your buddy shoots this deer, when the normal guy next door has this thing happen, gets struck by a whitetail lightning. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about with him. You know, this isn't going to be about glorifying antler inches. Um, you know, we say it all the time, Dan. This We're all about hunting your own hunt, having a great experience, chasing your own personal goals. Um, but what happens when something crazy like this walks into your life? That's That's what I want to get into with Luke. But before that, though, I do want to talk about what happens when crazy things happen in your life or my life, <laughs> like our recent hunts. Um, so before setting the stage for my Boundary Waters hunt, I guess, you just got back from South Dakota. Um, I enjoyed your Instagram stories. I liked following along and seeing what was going on there. From the outside looking in, it looked like it was like an action-packed hunt. Um, and I know you've got a podcast that's either out right now, I think it's out or coming yeah. out soon, that goes into like all sorts of detail on this. But but can you give us at least like a cliff note scoop on on how it went? Yeah. So if you want to check out the, the full story of, uh, let's see, part one launched Monday, part two launched Wednesday. Uh, so if you want the long version, go uh, to nine finger Chronicles, uh, podcast and it's called Sodak mule deer hunt, right? It's pretty, pretty simple, but here's what I will say. I, the, I was looking forward to my elk hunting trip, but I was really really looking forward to this South Dakota trip. Um, I don't know what it is about that type of terrain and, and me and you, we've discussed this before, right? You, you're a mountain guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm this prairie guy with the rolling hill. Like, I don't know what it is. Easy I on the just, knees. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I wish I could say Not that, that but easy. It, it, it's, there was a lot of up and down in, on this hunt. Um, but man, we, we went out there. My buddy drove from New York. He spent the night at my house. We got up at 4 AM on, uh, this was two weekends ago now and, uh, got in the car on a, on a Saturday morning, drove out to South Dakota, uh, hopped out of the truck, pitched a tent. And, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's how we got there. And just the drive in, I don't know, whenever you go to a new place, Mark, it was probably unsafe for both of us to be in a vehicle at that point because we're not even paying attention to the road. We're just <laughs> looking out the window, you know, like, oh, there's an antelope. Oh, uh-huh. there's a deer. Oh, you know, and just watching the the terrain change once you get a little closer uh, to like the Missouri River. Oh, yeah. And, I, I and, love it once you start crossing that. You can see yeah. the, tra- the habitat transition. Right. Absolutely. And, and like just the terrain uh, coming down into the into the valley of the river and then coming back up and it's all these flat tops with these big 
dugout drainages and, and, um, and it's just amazing. So I was, I, I was so amped. I, I just could not even relax. I was just boom, 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 you know, like fired up beating the internal drum, so to speak. And, uh, we get out there and, uh, we get to the parking spot, uh, at the, at this 33,000 acre public land spot. And sure enough, there's two more vehicles there. And I'm just like, Oh man, we, of all the places we decided to park, we park, but as we're, as we're getting ready and, and packing up our, our packs to hike in and set up camp, uh, four people came out of there and they were just these day hikers, I guess they were just up there taking pictures. Nice. So we hike up, um, we hike in about a mile and a half, set up camp. And by that time it's getting dark. So we eat and go to bed. Now here comes one of the most spectacular parts of this entire trip. And it is the fact that I saw, I woke, we woke up Sunday morning and not really knowing what to expect. We were going to hike to the top of this mountain or this, uh, this, it's not a mountain, but it's the highest point in the area, like right? A, but kind it, of like a butte, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, butte. Yeah, kind of. Um, it, just a big hill, right? So just take the Rockies and shrink them down is kind of what it, it felt like, yeah. to, you know, a different scale. So we climb up about 100 feet, uh, and that's where we're going to glass for the morning. As we're getting ready, I see a, a little shooting star go across the sky, and I'm just like, oh, man, this is this is awesome. Uh, I just saw a shooting star, kind of a good luck uh-huh. messing around a little bit, look back up in the sky just cause the, the, the stars were so brilliant. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of these types of shooting stars, but it was, it must've been closer to the ground. It looked like a missile going through the air. It was like, you could see not just a white streak, but the color wow. of the shooting star. I could see it, I could see the bright white up front. I could see the smoke trail and I could see the illumination, uh, like orange and red of the fire that was coming off behind it. Wow. And it just went across the entire sky. It was like, it was like, a a, a gigantic firework that just went. And I, I swear for a second, I could have, I heard it. That's no. how it was. It was bananas. I, I literally geeked out and lost my mind. I was like, oh, my God, did you see that? Oh, my God. But did you consider, are you 100% certain whether or not that was a UFO? Yeah, I don't know. It could have been a UFO. <laughs> it could have been. But, uh, man, uh, it, it, was, it was one of the most amazing things I have ever seen out in nature. That is so cool. Very cool. I, I don't know why I'm geeking out about it so much. It's just I can't even explain to you what it what – it, I don't know. It just, it just got me geeked for that, that entire trip. It was like the starting start. It's a very good start. So we climb up and, uh, we start glassing that morning. Um, both of us are pretty jacked up. Uh, and you know, we start, we glassing a little bit. Um, we see a couple mule deer does way off in the distance. Um, we saw, uh, some white tail does way off in the distance and we were in a kind of an area where the, uh, it was next to a, a big, uh, like a river system that kind of led, there were some creeks that led up into these big drainages and valleys. And so we were seeing a mixture of whitetails and mule deer. So that, that was kind of cool. And, and just to talk about our expectations real quick, um, we went into this trip 
just for the experience, right? We, we had this talk, like, what are your expectations? Like, what do you want to do? And both uh, me and the guy I went with were like, if I get a shot at a doe, I'm taking it. And, uh, that's the same with me. You know, I go on this elk hunting trip, walk away with nothing. I wanted to walk away with something on this trip, whether it was, uh, a buck, a doe, anything. But we, we both realized that this is a completely different environment and a completely different strategy for hunting. Uh, so we kind of, we were like, you know what, if we can learn something, take away and then come back next year and capitalize, that would be awesome. But we're here to have fun. We're here for the new experience. And um, so that we, we didn't really have any expectations going into this hunt other than to learn and have fun. And, uh, um, and But we were seeing deer that first morning. So it was like, okay, we have five days left. Let's, let's get the, you know, this is a good start. At least we know where they're at and we know where we need to be, you know, at some point throughout, throughout this trip. So we're glassing for a couple hours, nothing, nothing real close. Everything was like a mile out. Uh, you know, we'd notice it through the binoculars and then we would set up the spotting scope to identify a little closer and, um, say, uh, okay, well let's wait for them to bed down. That was our, that was our thing. Find them, try to locate where they were bedded down and then go make a move on them. Right. So we saw these does way in the distance and I said, well, let's go around, um, this big hill and get to another big hill that's blocking off another a part of this, uh, valley and see if we can't see if we can't see a little bit more of this, this big, big drainage. So we're walking and this is a lot of the, the terrain out there is this, this waist high grass. It's almost like tumbleweed that you're walking through. So it's real dry. It's real brittle. Um, there's some, there's some green grass, but it's about waist high. And then what's not grass is this, imagine putting drywall plaster over top of popcorn. And that is what you're trying to walk on to go up and down uh, some of these hills. And it got to a point where we, we kind of had to have a talk with each other and say, we can't walk up this stuff anymore because we're slipping and sliding and falling down. And, uh, we had to learn how to take the long way, the long route, uh, sometimes just because it, some of this, uh, this, this ground was unsafe to walk on. Huh? Yeah. Just really, really weird. I'd, I'd never uh, experienced anything like that before. Uh, and even though the drop wasn't like falling off a mountain out in Colorado, it would have been significant and you would have slid all the way down. And like we slid a couple times to where we were gaining speed and we couldn't really stop ourselves on our butts. Right. And so we had to kind of lay our packs down and put our arms out and we each had a trekking pole that we were digging into the ground. So we kind of let's, uh, let's stay away from that. So we look up there. Um, and then we start, we start hearing voices. So we, we watched two hunters come out of one part of this valley. So we just kind of assumed that that part of the valley is trashed for the day. Uh, we, we stay in, we glass uh, a couple up, a couple more mule deer does. We wait for them to walk by and then we drop down and walk another mile and a half into this big plateau, basically that's in the middle of these two drainages. And, uh, 
its high points that we had identified on Onyx, say, okay, well, these look like two high points that we can go and glass, you know, these drainages. So we, long story short, we walk in, we identified a water source, like a seep in the, uh, uh, in the ground, which was good because we used that multiple times throughout this trip to get water. That way we didn't have to go back to the truck. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, that's big, uh, because if we didn't find that, we were going to have to spend a lot of time walking back to camp, then back to the truck, then back out for evening, uh, for evening hunts. And, uh, that, that actually played a, a huge role in allowing us to do what we did because there was a day where I took my pack off, I laid it down and you kind of, you know, you lean on your pack while you're glassing and my, uh, port, my water port got pressed against the ground and all my water in my bladder leaked out. Eesh. So I, I'm like, I did not drink three liters of water today. And, uh, it was, uh, long story short, just glad that we, we found that water so yeah, we could wow. pump it up and treat it. Almost stepped on a rattlesnake. Uh, I was, we walked up to one of these classing points, walk up to the edge. There's like this rock configuration, this rock formation, put my boot down on it. And I hear, <sighs> I look down and about a foot from my boot is a rattlesnake. Oh man. <laughs> and I, I, it was, it was intense because it was a big rattlesnake, but I don't know. That's it's, terrifying. Yeah. It's, um, it's rattle was longer than my pinky finger. Like it was, it was a big fat one Jeez. and, uh, uh, but it didn't want to, it, anything to do with us. It rattled a couple times and went back down into this, uh, into this, uh, crack, we sat there, took a little nap, uh, glassed, walked across the plateau, did some more glassing, uh, and I'm accelerating this, of course. Uh, this, these gla- Every time we stopped to glass, we were glassing, oh, I would say two hours at a time, if not more, okay. uh, just relaxing, just, you know, getting a lay of the terrain, which we, we found out in the long run is there's so many cracks and um, – the terrain is so there's so many variations in it that if you go a hundred yards a different direction and look at the same area, you're finding more cracks. So you're, it's awesome to have Onyx, and I and I'll I'll say this, and this is a, a good plug for one of your partners here. I don't know what we would have done without it, because it allowed us to mark what we saw. It allowed us to take you know, mark trails in and out. It allowed us to, and this is the big one, look at a map and identify, you know, here's camp. We need to get here, but we need to do it in, in the dark. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm basically, instead of looking at the ground, I'm looking at the ground in the dark, but I'm also got my phone out trying to take the path of least resistance to the morning scout, you know, the next scouting point in, in the dark. And it is, it was one of the biggest helps for the entire trip, hands down. So yeah, it comes in very handy for that kind of trip. That's for sure. Absolutely. So, and then we get back and here's, this is, this is a cool part. You know, we're, we're all focused on, on uh, mule deer on the ride out, but then we learn, you know, Hey, there's whitetails here too. And they're down in this river bottom. There are a handful of crop circles. And we pop up over this ridge to glass to see if we could see any mule deer coming off these uh, hills into the uh, fields below 
but we get there and there's already like 25 whitetails in this crop circle Oh man! When, when we get there, but we're still a long ways away, right? There's, we didn't have enough time to make a stock, uh, to, to go, to go there. And we were like, well, we can shoot a whitetail deer at home. Maybe we'll just wait a couple days and, you know, and see, but then a big whitetail buck popped out uh, of the river bottom. And it was too, it would have been too late to go stock. And he was on private ground when we saw him, but it was right on that line, just kind of like your, uh, uh, your hunt. Yeah. You, North Dakota. Yeah. So he was right on the line and we're like, Hey man, maybe the next day we'll, uh, we'll, we'll set up tomorrow evening and go check him out. Well, I would, I would put him, he was a mile away. I, I could see him through the spotting scope, but I would, dude, he had a big body. His body was bigger than every other deer in the field, you know, rightfully so as a buck, but his, his rack was noticeable in the spotting scope, like big. I would, I would have, if he was a, if he was an eight pointer, he would have been 140. Yeah. Uh, if he was a 10 pointer, he probably would have been closer to 150. That's so, a big one. Yeah, a really good, a really good whitetail that got got us both excited. Sun went down. We walked back to camp, got put the game plan together, and said, "Okay, well, we're gonna go back to that big plateau where we were, uh, you know, where we were the next day." And so, like I said, got out the on put put a path together on Onyx. Got out of camp, walked all the way in the dark, a mile and a half to this glassing point and, uh, got there just, you know, right before gray light, it was perfect. We dropped down off the hill a little way. So we weren't skylined and just kind of waited for the sun to come up. And right away we started seeing whitetail does and what they were doing is they're coming off the tops and then going back down into these drainages to bed throughout the day. And so here's a, uh, white tail or uh, a mule deer doe over here. Oh man, there's four mule deer doe over there. Okay, cool. So I turn around, I start making some coffee and, uh, my uh, guy I was with is like, Hey man, that, that, that one looks like a buck. Put the binos up. Sure enough, it was a really wide, big two by two, just a really cool deer. And we're like, well, let's follow him. Right. So we, we watch him graze for a little bit up top drops down out of the, um, you know, off the top down in, we lose him. And we're, now we start putting a game plan together, right? I'm, I'm finishing up coffee. Uh, we're still seeing some does up there, you know, okay, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to go here. We're going to do this, blah, 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 put an approach. And as I'm turning around to hand him his coffee, he's, he's got his binos up. He's like, Hey man, there's, there's four more, there's four more, uh, deer coming off the top look it up, put up, pull up the spotting scope. And it was four mule deer bucks all together still. Oh. Yeah. And there was a, I want to say a three by three, a real young one. And then two four by fours that were medium range. And, and granted, I'm, t- I'm just, I'm telling you this, th- their size and their age because just as a reference, we were going to shoot whatever was available right away. I mean, if, if a doe popped up at, you know, 20 yards, we were going to shoot a doe at 20 yards. Right. So we watched these four bucks and they were, they were hustling down because this was about eight o'clock in the morning. So they were, it was almost like they were coming off later than all the other animals. Maybe they were bumped. Maybe they, 
I don't, whatever. Or maybe they just ate too, ate too long and, you know, uh, decided, Hey, we gotta, we gotta hustle down, watched them drop into this drainage. Uh, and, uh, the, the last one that came through was noticeably bigger in size and antlers than all of the other ones. So we're just like, hell, if we're going to go do a stock on something, let's do it on this big one. Uh Right. So he drops down, um, goes behind a couple rock formations and like, okay, we lost him. This is, this is what really impressed me about these animals. They are, they're smart. This buck pops out around a rock formation, walks closer to us. And when I mean closer to us, we're, I mean, he's still a mile away. Right. But he's walking out around this rock formation and he's, it's like, he's checking out the area before he goes to bed. He goes back down the trail that he came out in, comes up another rock formation. He's looking all around, taking his time. Then he go disappears again, walks around, backtracks where he came, then drops down into another cut. And then he disappears. So it, it, it told me that they're thinking differently than what, how you think, right? You think of a, a deer and you think, uh, or an animal, they can't think like us when they're hungry, they eat, when they're tired, they bed down when they're scared, they run away. Right. But this guy was saying, I need to check out my surroundings before I go to bed down because I want to make sure that there's nothing there. So that, that thought process kind of intrigued me. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, so this big buck drops down and, uh, I'm like, okay, let's do this. So we talk about how we're going to do this. We identified certain parts, uh, certain uh, terrain features between us and where he was betting so that we could creep up behind him without any of these other deer seeing us because they eventually all laid down or they all disappeared behind things too. We identified the cut. We identified uh, certain areas to hide behind or glassing points. Um, we identified what we, you know, the path that we needed to take. Um, before we headed over there, we needed to drop down. We needed some more water. Uh, we needed to use the restroom and then make our make our stock up into this area. So we get to we drop down off the the side of the valley that we were on, cross the creek come back up the other side, hit, hit all those identifiable points so we could glass going into it. But what we found out was that he's deep in this cut or, or so we thought he was deep in this cut and it started getting warmer that day. You know, it was like 30 degrees in the morning, but it slowly starts to warm up to about 70, you know, 70 degrees. We saw him at eight o'clock. Now just remember that we saw him at eight o'clock come down, disappear about eight thirty. We get to a point, uh, this rock formation where it's like, okay, let's, this is where we need to drop our bags. And I said, I'm going to go up and I'm going to, um, uh, I'm going to do some glassing. He needed to treat some of his water. Um, so he's treating his water. I'm doing some glassing. I'm like, Hey, look at this. And I say, grab your bow. Let's go. So I just, you know, we were going to do paper, rock, scissors, for, um, (laughs) to see who was going to shoot first, but it just kind of worked out that, that I said, dude, let's grab your bow. Let's go. And then he was going to be the shooter on this. And I was going to take lead as far as 
creeping around the corners. I was going to be working the binoculars. He was going to be the shooter, you know? And, and also one thing that I really found out about this particular hunt was the teamwork aspect. I really, I really, um, it's, it's awesome to see a guy go out and do it all by themselves, Uh but it's, it's so awesome to have another guy to bounce ideas off of and to, for, you know, like as a shooter, you got a guy running the kind of running the, uh, binos for you. Okay. I don't see him. I don't see him. And then as the bino guy, you know, that you're, you're not a shooter. So it's like, we each had these roles going into it and, uh, into this stock that it was like, okay, here we are. Um, this is, this is my role. This is your role. And so I would go up and take the lead. I would creep around corners and I would use the binos and whatever. And he would, then I would gesture him and he would come behind me and we'd get behind rock formations or trees, work our way closer up in these cuts and, uh, uh, you know, take a look at what's, you know, okay, I can see the shade. Let's look at where he potentially could be betting. Right. And you know, all this stuff. Well, as we're working our way up the cut that he disappeared in, we're, we're getting even now with where he dropped, where we saw him drop down off of this rock formation. And all of a sudden we hear boom, boom, boom. And it sounded like something got up and ran. Well, what happened was he was actually down lower bedded under a, a tree, not up in the cut. Uh-oh. And, but the cool thing was that he, our wind was in our favor. We, we were higher than him and it was blowing down the drainage. So he never did catch our wind, which I think was our saving grace because I can't see him at this point. And, uh, Dan, the other guy that was with me, he says, there he is, there he is. I'm like, how far is he? He gets his range finder out. Ranges, range, 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 can't get a range, stands up a little bit, gets a range, 58 yards, 58 yards, perfectly broadside. And he's just staring at us and we're head to toe camo, right? Uh, Hoodies on masks up, uh, over our face. And he's just looking at us like, or he's looking at the other guy. I, like I said, I'm between a tree, so I can't see any of this go down. And so he gets his arrow ready, draws back and, and he lets it go. And I hear the arrow go. And then the sound disappears for a split second. And at this point I'm like, Oh dude, he missed him, but it was. And you could hear it just drill him. And he's the, the Dan starts to lose his mind. He's like, <laughs> Oh my God. Like he hit right where I was aiming. I hit right where I was aiming. And I, I pop out around this tree and I'm watching him jump and it just, you know, you know, when a deer is dead, yeah. right? Like just gush and blood coming out of his nose. He tries to go back up the same incline, pretty steep incline that he came out and, uh, and he, he didn't make it. Gravity was his worst enemy at that point. Back legs got wide and he just tumbled off, off the back. And it was the big buck that we watched drop off that, uh, the top And we were both in shock. Like, I can't believe that just happened. This was my first ever spot in stock and his first ever spot in stock on really any animal, (laughs) right? We're tree stand hunters. Right. And, you know, I've done it in Nebraska before, but not at, you know, it's just different terrain, different scenarios. And, you know, yeah, we, we put a plan together, but we also got lucky. 
right? This, this deer popped up and stood and decided to watch us instead of run away. And he waited around too long and the guy drilled him at 58 yards. And, um, you walk up on this animal and it's, it's, it's between 350 and 400 pounds. It is a absolute gigantic bodied animal. Uh, ridiculous. Um, and he's walking up on it and the guy, this is why I like this dude. He go, he goes, I'm going to get so much meat out of this deer. <laughs> like <laughs> he was so jacked that he's going to be able to get a lot of meat off of this, uh, off this animal. And then he commented on its antlers, but it, it was real cool because it was about the experience. It was about the meat he was getting off of this. Um, and then you fast forward, man, and we're, we're we clean it and we pack it out. It, it was, I'm still in shock over how, how it all went down. It was amazing. It's a gorgeous buck. Oh yeah. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a gorgeous buck. Taxidermist, uh, taxidermist did a tooth, tooth analysis or not a, like a full analysis, but did a tooth comparison on it. Said it was a six and a half year old buck and it scored like one fifty one something. Nice. For a meal there. That's awesome. Yeah. It, and first ever pack out three and a half miles. And granted, this isn't the Rocky mountains. Each of us had over a hundred pounds in our pack. And, uh, I don't, it, I got to, we were walking, you know, we dropped down off this drainage, hit the creeks, had to go up and down a couple, you know, for the most part, it was flat once we got out of the Hills, but, and we followed a, this uh, old rancher rancher trail back to the truck, three and a half miles. And, I got to the end and I was so physically drained that I was getting emotional. <laughs> Sounds like our first night of elk hunting, Dan. <laughs> I, I know. I know. It, it was, uh, it was great. It's like every step I took, I could feel more energy draining out of my body. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy that, that emotion. I take the pack off of me and I could not, I couldn't stand up. I had to lay down yep. because you're, you have so much weight on for that long a time and that distance that your body is now compensating for that weight. And I had to lay down and like reestablish new balance out of, <laughs> out of it all. And I, I want to say that, that it, we didn't really celebrate. We didn't celebrate the, uh, the hunt until we got the meat back into the cooler in the truck. And that is when we celebrated. Yeah. I mean, when he, when he walked up, you know, we had this big old bro hug. Uh, we gave each other high fives, but then we instantly knew we got to get this meat out. Got it's a lot work. of work. We got a lot of work to do. And, and, uh, we did it. We did it all in one trip. And, uh, cause we were debating going back and, and making two trips, you know, for some additional equipment, like just our bows and a spotting scope and a couple other things. But we're like, dude, we, we have to do it because I don't want to come back in the middle of the night for this right, stuff, right. come back and potentially ruin this area again for anything. So we, uh, made it one trip, man. And, uh, I want to say it is probably one of the most rewarding hunting experiences that I've had to date. Just, just adding that pack out alone. I, I think the entire experience would have been different if we were able to load it on a four wheel or a truck. Oh Yeah. 
it's that much that is the it's the best type two fun you can ask for. It's so painful in the moment when you're done. It's such a great feeling to know you did that, and that meat tastes real good after all that work. Oh man, I've already, I made chili with it already, and because uh, he gave me, he's like, dude, you helped me pack this out. You helped me on this trip. We did we did this together. He gave me almost half of the meat, and I was like, dude, you know, like, hey, I don't need all the meat or half the meat, just give me what you want. And he wanted to give me half, so I'm not going to turn it down. So we, I, dude, I made one of the best pots of chili I ever made, uh, yesterday. That's awesome. Uh, and dude, I don't know. I'm just geeked. I'm geeked about this trip. And, uh, and I really haven't even shared my experience, uh, with my buck. I mean, I, we, okay. So we went into town, we needed ice. We stayed in a hotel that night. Um, so the first thing in the morning, we could, uh, you know, first thing in the morning, we're going to, uh, take it to the processor and then take the head to the taxidermist. So we did all those things, um, came back out to, we had to go back to camp and we made the decision that we're, we're going to try to cut these deer off. And the reason that we're going to go back to camp, tear it down, come back to the truck, drive around the entire 33,000 acres and hit it from the backside is because the weather forecast changed on us while we were out there. And we're talking this gigantic cold front coming through that was going to dump eight inches of snow, 60 mile an hour winds. And a, um, the real temperature was like 28 and the wind chill would have been below zero. And we did not have the proper equipment for those kind of conditions. So I said, man, we have to, we have to make a game plan on how we're going to adjust to this. And the game plan was we're going to stick this out as long as we possibly can. And then we're going to leave because we, these are dirt roads to get back into some of this stuff. We identified where the deer were at and walking up some of this terrain in snow or rain or whatever just really wasn't an option and uh, you know we we each have families and i don't want to hear that story about a guy who not necessarily gets lost but you know tries to tries to do something and be tough but then loses a toe because of frostbite or you know we just we, <laughs> you know, like, how, how fitting though would that be for right, you right. Dan? <laughs> That'd be a kick-ass story, though, wouldn't it? Would you Would you feel like more on balance if you had nine fingers and nine toes? <laughs> if I lost, let's see, it would have to be on my left foot. If I lost the toe on my left foot, it might balance me out a little bit. Oh, maybe you should have done it, dude. That could have been <laughs> that could have been really what made your career. <laughs> right. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. You just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you 
to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. But you know what I mean? Like we, I don't know if you've ever had to back out because of weather, but it was a, it was a 50 it was it was going to be a fifty plus degree temperature shift. Yeah, that was a huge storm pushing through there. Right, Montana got smoked. Yeah, North Dakota got smoked, and uh, western um, Western South Dakota, where we were at, got smoked. And we just were like, okay, we're going to hunt as long as we possibly can. And uh, sure enough, we're you know uh, we ended we ended up having to back out. But so later that night. Uh, or the day that we dropped all the stuff off at the taxidermist and, you know, loaded up on some more water, took down camp to move. Uh, we're like, okay, let's just sleep in the back of the truck tonight. So we drive in, uh, to the backside of this, uh, this public ground, find, uh, the spot to where we could drive the furthest. And then we were going to walk up to where these deer were coming off. And it was a warm day two days in a row so, and this front was moving in overnight and we said okay let's see let's get in there a, a ways and find a, a way to where or find a, a spot to glass to see maybe we can see these deer coming out of these drainages to feed at night and then maybe back them, find a way to get in between them and the drainage uh for for the morning hunt so that way i can shoot one coming down back into bed well, we start, we pack up, you know, I shoot my bow a couple of times, uh, start walking towards the hills, get up in the hills a little bit. Uh, we bump a couple, uh, mule deer doe, we cup, uh, bump a couple whitetail doe and, uh, go about another, you know, half a mile in and out of the corner of my eye, I see like just this white flicker, like a, a deer, a bug landing on a deer's ear and it just flipped his ear. That's it. And I look over in the shadows of one of these hills, which was about a hundred yards away. And I just, I knew, I just had this gut feeling. I knew what it was. I'm like, that's a mule deer. Didn't know what it was, mule deer. And I just said to the guy, keep walking, just keep walking. And what we found out is that if, if these deer see you and you stop, they'll run. But if they see you and you keep walking, they will stay there as you know, they feel that if they're still, you're not going to identify them 
And so what we did was I just quick put the binos up while I was walking and it was a mule deer buck sitting right there. And I said, just keep walking, keep walking. So we walked out of his line of sight. And then I started my spot or my stock. I had him kind of in a position to where he could see the hill that he was bedded on the, the top of it. And, uh, he was, uh, and he could see if I, like, if he was going to run away, he would be able to see that. Uh, if I, if I did something wrong in this uh-huh. stock, uh, so, so we get, we get there, uh, and I'm just like, I, I need to loop all the way around to the backside because the, the wind was coming over top of this hill to where he could smell anything coming over the top of the hill. So I had to approach, approach it from this at an angle and not come at the tippy top of the hill, but come at an angle and, I walked all the way around. I, I started ranging like bushes in the side of the hills and just breaking the entire stock down into like 10, 20, 30 yard increments. Like, okay, I need to take my time. I need to go 10 yards, start walking real close. And the closer I got, the more, um, the more careful I was with every step to the point where I was just slowly setting my foot down, not taking a step, but just basically balancing on one leg and just slowly putting all the pressure down on my foot. Just like not all at one time, just slow. And that grass was still really dry and the wind was blowing pretty good. And I get within, I get to the top where I'm just about able to peek over and the wind just stops, stops. and. I could start hearing and it was this buck breathing. I really? Could he- I could hear him panting almost. Wow. It was like 75 degrees and I'm just like, no, what, what is that noise? And then as I'm creeping up over the top, I had, I dropped my binos. I dropped my, the only thing I had was my rangefinder and my bow. So I was, I, and I'm creeping over just like an inch at a time inch at a time coming up over top of this ridge and I see his antlers. Right. And he's, he's facing to, he's kind of at an angle, but I'm above him. Probably I, I, I ranged his head at 37 yards. Okay. And I get up and I get to the top and now I take a little bit more of a step and now I can start, I can see his neck, I take a little bit more of a step. Now I can see his body right? He's bedded down still and he's looking away and his ears are pinned straight back. He's looking forward. He has no clue I'm there. So I'm adjusting my feet ever so slightly just so I get a good base so I can draw my bow. Right. And as I adjust my feet, there's this little crack or or two rocks clicking together and he, he kind of perks up. He doesn't stand yet, but he's perked up. So it's like something got his attention. And I'm like, I am so screwed now, right? I'm going to have to make this happen now. So I draw back and I, um, you said, like I said, his head was at 37 yards, stood up, right? He, so he stands up and he's kind of glassing, but his body goes back to relaxed, right? I draw back and at that angle, you can't get a double lung shot, right? Cause I'm straight above him, right? So my goal is to blow out one lung. 
That's, that was what I was, that's what I'm thinking. So at this angle, you're aiming higher on the body, but you're imagining that the arrow is going to come out right between his two front legs or, you know what I mean? So uh-huh. at, at that angle, I'm drawn back and, uh, it's like behind the shoulder, but up higher on the body. And as I'm going through my shot process, hold, hold, squeeze. And as I squeeze the trigger, he takes a backward step. I I watch his whole body shift in my sight casing and I drill him complete pass through, not where I was aiming, but a little bit up higher on the body and, and he drops down, he drops, pops back up on the other side of the drainage, complete pass through. And I see blood start to pump out of his, of his, um, of his shoulder is like up on the shoulder and, um, let's see up. If you, if you're looking at a deer shoulder broadside, it would have been, if you took the leg kind of right up, but the, if you, at that angle, I thought, dude, I got one lung and he was bleeding really good. So I run up to the, and then he disappears. I run up to the top of the hill and I'm glassing him. And, uh, the other guy gets his binos, grabs a spotting scope, runs to a different point and we're, we're watching him run away and he runs a really long way. And I'm like, dude, I got, I, I feel like I got one lung on this buck. I feel like I got one lung. And so he drops down into this coolie, I guess you would call it, or this, this, another little drainage. We see him. Oh, he's probably, he's not, he's probably not quite a mile, half a mile uh away and his tail's flippering his back legs are getting wide i'm just like he's gonna bed down right there he's gonna he's gonna lay down right there and we're not gonna move and it was almost like he was shaking it off like he starts to shake his head and then he take he trots up a little ways and he, he starts to get wobbly shakes his head wobbles gets up on the flats again the plateaus again and he starts trotting away i'm like what the hell you know like i I feel like I got a really good shot. And by this time he's a, a good chunk away, but his entire body is red, like from the blood, like his whole side is red and you don't need a, it's not, you don't need a rocket scientist to say he's hurt. And uh, while he's on this flat, you know, his tail, he's taking these wider, like left, right, wider steps. And his back end seems to be going down. His head's going down and then he, sh- he shakes his head and he's like, it's almost like he's, get pumping himself up to make it further, make it further, make it further. And, uh, he goes across this flat top, drops back down into another drainage. And that's where we lose sight at him. And what we, then me and uh, Dan meet back up and he's like, dude, you got good blood, man. He's, he's, you know, dropping. But what you have to realize is it's hard to follow a blood trail in this, this waist high grass, right? You've probably killed a deer before, in CRP yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, I don't care unless you smoke them and it's just spraying out like a super soaker. It's hard to find blood in, in this. And, and I shot him high. So, so, you know, it was coming up and then draining down his side, but I, and I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure of where the exit wound was at, but I was assuming, Oh shit, man, it, you know, I passed through, he's going to bleed. He's going to leak. And, uh, 
the last thing I remember is him wobbling, going down into a drainage. I said, that's where we're going to find him, man. He's going to go lay down right in there and we're going to find him. Well, it's starting to get dark at this point. And so I'm like, Hey, let's hustle up. Let's go to this drainage. So, um, I want to get a good idea. He stopped in this one area. This just this one area where there was hardly any grass, real low grass. So we make it to that point. I find a big pile of blood and, uh, and then we, you know, through, through marking a, uh, a, I guess a, uh, a location through my binoculars. I'm like, okay, we got to make it to that tree. Well, in Iowa, if you shoot an animal and it jumps onto private ground, you have the right to go do that. In South Dakota, you do not have the right to do that. You have to have landowner permission to hop the fence and go find this animal. Mm-hmm. Well, this buck ends up crossing a fence and that's where the track job stopped. And so from this point, I start to get freaked out. I'm, I'm like, okay, I got to find landowners. We're looking at our phones, landowner, 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 uh, landowner can't, you know, and, and obviously nobody lives around the, where these ranches are at, right? All they are is crop ground or like these circles, but there's nobody that lives on them. So I'm texting, we're looking, looking for phone numbers and, and it's hard to find a phone number. So we're like, okay, let's go back to the truck. Let's wait overnight. And let's start up first thing in the morning. We go back. Um, the first thing we do when we wake up is knock on a couple of doors. Nobody's home. It's like, it's almost like they're summer houses for people when they're doing, when they're working cattle. And so then we go down this another couple miles. Finally, we get a hold of a guy and he's like, yeah, okay, well, that's not my property, but I have his phone number. I will call him and I will let him know that you're going to be on his property looking for the deer. If you run into anybody, you tell him I, I said it was cool. I'm like, hey, man, that's good enough for me. Okay. And uh, because this dude's property bordered another guy's property, he said he was going to make a phone call for us. So we go back to the drainage that we saw him in start at the very top and we're each on both sides. We, we can't find blood because it's that waist high tumbleweed grass again, hop the fence and there's some blood and we're following his tracks, fresh tracks, following his blood and come to a point where we, it looks like his knee went down into the dirt. Like he was getting ready to lay down. All right. One thing I did not tell you is that as we're cooking supper at the truck, coyotes start going off and they're going off close to where we left, uh, the, the blood trail. They're going off. I bet you there was one, a hundred yards from the truck going off and they were going off for a while and we could hear them move. Um, go back there and then, you know, long story short, we started grid searching lots and setting up in binoculars. We, we did that for seven, over seven hours looking for this thing, could not find him. And I just was like, are you kidding me? Like, I felt like I drilled this animal and I should find him. You know, did the cut, did we go in too aggressive to this drainage? And even though he was on public or private ground, he saw us coming or did the coyotes bump him? You know, you start having that doubt in like, what did, did I, did I screw up my shot? What, what happened? 
And I don't, I, I still honestly don't know what kind of, what, ha- what went wrong in this whole scenario. I think it was just a, a kind of a combination of everything, not being able to track him right away. Coyotes came through, um, maybe when he shifted his body weight backwards, he took, it's like, it's like he stood up, but he was still in a bedded stance so that, so he, to get more of a comfortable stance, he took a backwards step. I don't know. And it, it all kind of happened while I was pulling the trigger. I shot maybe higher up on the body, but I felt like, dude, that's still lung. One lung I got, and you know, deer can die on one lung. And, you know, and he, then here we are with no mule deer. Uh, just absolute, you know, and then you're just in doubt the whole you think about it over and over and over and over and over and over like every day. I still think about it the entire ride home. I was thinking about it and just, it sucks, man, because it was a really good buck. I mean, it was not a, it wasn't as big as the other guys, but it was a four by four, a really big body uh, from what I could tell. And I was completely calm. And I'll tell you why in the stock is because in a stock like this, it's not like in a tree stand where a deer comes by and you have to draw and shoot it. I'm not even thinking about, I'm not even thinking about the, the, the shooting the deer at this point, because my mind is, you can't even shoot the deer until you get to a, until you can see it. So I'm thinking about every step. I'm cognizant of my wind direction, right? You're all these other things you're thinking about, except the shot until you need to make the shot. So, you know, I, I drew back and I wasn't even nervous. It was like I was practicing, you know, I wasn't even thinking that this was the very first buck mule deer I was ever going to shoot. I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking about like the steps and it was like, I was practicing. That's how calm I was. So I don't want to, I, I, I didn't even have buck fever and I don't know. I just, I don't know. Just shit (laughs) so so would you do anything different no like that's what i'm saying like you know i i'm looking back at this you know i I said um i I was looking back at this and i was saying okay so i i put a i put a marginal shot on my white tail last year right but eventually i found him right Uh, i did not want that to happen to this deer so I was, and I was, I was practicing good. You know, my bow was tuned in. I think if anything, I may have took a little bit of a higher angle, try to get up the hill just a little bit more on him to where I, to where I was even shooting more straight down on him and not, I don't know. There was an angle, but not like a straight down angle. So if I would have hit the same place that I hit with this deer, it just would have went almost straight down into his body. You know what I mean? So I was like shooting straight down. So you think back at that and I don't think I did anything wrong. I honestly don't think I did anything wrong other than that buck shifting while I was pulling, while I was going through my, my trigger squeeze process. Animals, wild animals, you can never you can never know for sure what they're going to do, how they react to things. I mean, that is the always unknown variable that can, that can screw up the best laid plans. That's for sure. 
it it really sucks because I've had some critics in the past. You know what? I know we talked about it once about you know that some when you asked me on my whitetail hunt, Dan, would you take that shot again? I said, yeah, dude, I'd take that shot again on a on a hard quartering away shot. And I had some critics, you know, make, leave comments about that. And I didn't. I don't want to think about it, but it made me think about like, oh Jesus. I'm going to get shit on for this because it's a deer I didn't find and I shouldn't have taken the shot, but I'm just like, I don't think I did anything wrong. Uh, you know, this is my first ever spot in stock. So this is a completely new experience for me. I felt I did everything that I was supposed to do. Maybe at the moment of truth, I should have just chilled for one more second. But with that, with that, uh, the rock making a noise and he perked up, I thought, Oh man, he's, he's, he's tense, but he's kind of his body language kind of calmed down a little bit again. I just don't want him to bolt out of there and, and lose an opportunity. It's, it's right here in front of me. And I took it. What do you take from this moving forward then for your next That's, hunt? Do you, yeah. is there anything different that you're, are you going to practice in any kind of way differently? Are you going to think about things differently or or is it, you know what, like you just said, you know, I, I did everything I could have. I'm just going to try to get better in all facets and try again. Yeah, um, I, I will definitely be practicing different between now and next year because I'm definitely going on the sun again. Um, I'm going to I'm going to practice shooting out of my treehouse straight down on targets or on my deck or even out of a tree stand or something to simulate these really steep, awkward angles that, you know, you put yourself in. Yeah. Not every, not everything's broadside. I mean, and to be honest with you, uh, I think that that's how most of the deer are shot out there or, or, you know, locate them, let them get to bed and then shoot them them in their beds. Yeah. Yeah, Get above them and shoot them in their beds. So I guess just more practice in that type of scenario. Right. Yeah. That's a, uh, that is a unique kind of shot compared to, you know, what you typically mm-hmm. plan on for elk, obviously not elk and for deer, whitetail deer too. So yep. yeah, that's a good thing to, to be thinking about. So yeah. what about this next year? Let's say you don't rack up enough brownie points or works busy, or you've got a sixth kid or something like that. And <laughs> you only can pick one Western hunt for next year. Do you go elk hunting again, or are you going to do this mule deer hunt again? Oh, that's a tough one, man. Um, you know, I'm not getting any younger, so I should probably do an elk hunt just for, from physical from a physical standpoint. But there's better odds, I feel, uh, going after mule deer. Now, I, I honestly think that we had an, uh, an exceptional trip out there. Uh, I, you know, I've had a lot of guys reach out to me and say, Hey dude, congratulations on your trip. Sounds like you guys got into them. It doesn't happen like that every year. Yeah. So be thankful for that. And I, and that kind of put it all into perspective where, you know, you're right. Uh, we ran into it, so we shouldn't be expecting the same thing to happen next year. Um, but what I will say is this was a very fun hunt and I, if I had to, if, if you were to ask me right now and, and then ask me again, I think this summer it would probably change, but as of right now, I'd probably go on this mule deer hunt again. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you had a good experience. I am sorry that the, uh, 
the end moments did not go as we would all want them to. But uh, mm-hmm. I trust that you will you'll you'll come out of it, learn something, and yeah, on to next year. Yeah, yeah, buddy. I uh, I don't know, man. I'm I'm jacked up. Uh, like now it's now I just turn the page to whitetails. Yep. Onward and upward. <laughs> Onward and upward. I uh, I will keep I will keep my update real short. Um, because you gave sorry us I a, took a lot of time. <laughs> you gave you gave me more than I was expecting on the cliff notes, but it's good stuff. So I will take yeah. it. Um, it was a hell of a hunt. Um, I will simply just set the stage then, and then our next episode you'll get to hear from us after the hunt how the whole thing goes. But right. but yeah, tomorrow night me and Furter and our buddy Andy are taken off for northern, 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 northern Minnesota, right there on the Canadian border into the Boundary Waters Wilderness area. And we're driving through the night, Tuesday night. We're going to get there Wednesday morning, get our rental canoes and our wall tent and our wood-burning stove and a few other pieces of equipment. And then driving to our entry point, we're going to load up the canoes with all of our gear for a week. And we are going to paddle a river for something like four to five miles. And then we're going to get to a lake, and then there's a chain of lakes from there that we can either set up camp on the first one, hunt around there, or portage to another lake, explore that, portage to another lake, check that out. And um, and we're going to see if we can survive it. We're going to see if we can find a deer. Um, anything legal is our goal. So I think it's going to be tough to find any deer. So we're, we're going to have realistic expectations on that front. Have you talked uh, or looked at any information about success rates in this area with archery equipment? Uh, basically, it's relatively unheard of. Like anyone we've talked to is like, "Oh, you're going to go in bow season." Um, it's a very low success rate during gun season. Um, but the only people we found that actually do this often, they do it during rifle. Um, so we're expecting zero pressure with the bow, um, but you know it's. It's something like th- three to four deer per square mile or something like that. Four or five deer square mile is like the estimated deer density. So very low deer numbers. Um, is this Andy May you're going with? No, Andy Bradley. Okay. Um, so, you know, we're just going to try to find anything. And we're going to fish yeah. in the morning and try to try to feed ourselves with walleye for dinner or whatever we can catch. And uh, scout and hunt in the afternoons, and maybe even shoot a grouse or two. We're gonna get our small game license and kind of do a a cast blast and whitetail hunt. So nice. it is gonna be a full suite uh, experience. That's for sure. Right. So how many acres uh, are you gonna be tooling around in? Oh man, I mean, it's like a thousands I think and it's thousands a, and thousands. It's a one point one million acre wilderness area. Ah, uh, gotcha. And like wilderness with a capital W. So this is like an official wilderness, which means no mechanized travel. So you can't take motorized boats. You can't drive into it. You can't even take a mountain bike into it. Um, you got to go by foot or canoe. And um, so rugged terrain, it's, it's you know, deep, deep, big woods and rocky kind of terrain. It's this uh, pre-Cambrian Canadian shield rock features down in that area so you've got these rocky islands and rocky shorelines and beautiful glacial lakes lots of fish and uh a few deer strolling around inside of it all there's lots of moose and bears and wolves um so we'll be right in the middle of it and just trying to 
just trying to figure it out as we go. So big, big, awesome. big cold front snow and stuff came through over the weekend. And I think it's going to be petering out just about the time we get there. So we're not sure if it's going to be really wet and nasty or if we'll be able to get out of there just afterwards and it'll clear up and be nice, but it's going to be cold. I know that. Yeah. So we got a wall tent and a wood burning stove that we're we'll real set up in there and try to try to stay warm and uh, try to stay dry. We got to be careful getting in and out of our canoes. And you know, if you shoot something, loading up the canoe with all your hunting gear and a deer, that'll be different. Um, so we're just going to be, try to be safe and um, get out of there in one piece and with all 10 of our toes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Is this a, uh... Is there any uh, cell coverage out there, or is all going to be like in the dark? Maybe a, sa- a satellite phone. Ooh, I'm pretty sure there's no cell service, so it's just okay. going to be with our. Um, I've got one of those InReach explorers, so I can like send out a text message to just let my wife know I'm safe. And then I've got yeah. has one of those SOS buttons, so if the shit really hits the fan and we need some kind of emergency help, we can uh, we can radio for that essentially. But right. uh, pretty much on our own, so. Yeah. We, uh, let me give you some advice. This is, you probably already have thought about this, but if you need to transfer something from one canoe to a next, take the extra time and go to shore to do it. Even if it's something simple, because I've been on a lot of canoe trips in the day, not for hunting, but you know, just for recreation. And even something as simple as handing somebody something could drop and then you lose that. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to. We're going to be safe. I, I think we're not going to try to take any chances with that because the temperatures we're going to have, you know, if you get wet and then it's oh, yeah. 25 degrees or 30 degrees or whatever it's going to be, um, that's not a good situation. So, can you build fires? Yeah, so we're going to, we can build a fire and we can have that wood-burning stove piping in our in our wall tent so we'll be able to get dry. Um, but you, you, just, you don't want to put yourself right. in that position either way. So right, right. we'll do the full scoop. Um, in the next podcast, we'll explain the research we've done, all the work that went into putting this together and our game plan and our strategy and, and how we're doing it. We'll cover all that. Um, awesome. I'll give a shout out right now to Furter. He did a wonderful <laughs> job. I kind of, with all the other things I got going on, I kind of asked him if he would be willing to play point on, uh, on doing a lot of research and talking to people and lining up our gear and everything and did a wonderful job. So, uh, kudos to my buddy, Josh. And um, hopefully we'll have a really good story for you in a week. And I'm jacked for you, man. These are the kind of trips that I I, I really like. Yeah. Because you're because you're essentially disappearing. Yeah. It's gonna be good just to get back into nature and not have to worry about the phone, not to worry about social media. Just gonna very fully experience this place and these animals and uh, and our pursuit for them. So it's gonna be a very Oh, as Ted Nugent likes to say, it will cleanse the soul. (laughs) So (laughs) that's the game plan. Good job, man. Well, I'm jacked for you. Thank you, sir. And I think uh, this might be our longest intro ever. (laughs) So (laughs) thanks for sticking with us, folks. This is a long podcast here, but it's a good one. We got a really, it's almost a two-part. You could almost split it up in two podcasts, really, but... Um, I'm going to stick them together. We'll get that great mule deer story in the front. We're going to get a really interesting kind of almost a human interest piece here in the back half as we hear how Luke dealt with this once in a lifetime experience. And, um, 
And then we'll get back at you next week. So let's shut this down here. Let's jump over to my chat with Luke Brewster. And uh, I'll chat with you all soon on the Boundary Waters front shortly. All right. With me on the line now is Luke Brewster. Welcome to the show, Luke. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hey, I'm glad that we can have this chat. Um, it's it's a unique chat for me even today because what I'm most – well, not, I don't know if I'm most excited, but what makes you such an interesting guest to me is what you just told me like a couple minutes ago before we started recording this whole thing, which was that you listened to Wired to Hunt as one of the first things that helped you figure out how to how to get into bow hunting and stuff. And and that is like the coolest thing I can hear. Anytime I get to meet someone who can point to Wired to Hunt as something that's helped them or that kept them excited through the through the season or whatever, that is like the best thing for me. So I'm just stoked that this has been a helpful thing for you in the past and uh and glad that now it's kind of led to you having some cool hunting experiences. That's that's awesome. So thank you for for doing that, for listening and and for kind of following along with what I've got going on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh I got to thank you for putting all the information and doing everything you do uh for us uh some of the newer guys that are looking to get into it. I mean, uh so it started when I got out of the Marine Corps. Um it was getting too cold to fish. I'm an avid fisherman. So, uh, I started hunting with a buddy and I was looking for more information, you know, uh, after I picked up a bow, um, trying to gather more information on, on, uh, how to really get into it. And I stumbled across your podcast and, uh, I just listened to uh, as many as I could headed out to, uh, Illinois and, uh, started hunting out there. So. the rest is history, huh? <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so I, you were, we were messaging on Instagram at one point and you said that you were, you were even following along with my whole Holyfield saga. Uh, so if yeah, you're familiar yeah. with that, anything I did wrong, do you have any advice for me? Cause you obviously have figured out how to get it done with a buck after multiple years. Uh, what did I do wrong on that one? No, <laughs> oh, man, to be honest, I, I pretty much just got lucky. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I had, you know, I did everything right that I was supposed to do, but in terms of uh, kind of patterning him, I, I honestly I just got kind of lucky. Well, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't close to where. Uh, uh, I mean, he was pretty close, but probably like a mile away from where we had pictures of him at. So I just, he caught yeah, me by surprise. That's amazing. Let's let's get into let's set the stage for this whole thing first. So all right. So you, you got into bow hunting after the Marine Corps. So you're an adult kind of onset bow hunter, right? And right. you're picking up stuff from podcasts and learning things as you go. Um, when did you, when did you decide to start traveling out of state to go to Illinois? Cause you, you're, you're from Virginia, right? Right. Right. And so you start heading to Illinois, just looking for a different experience or hoping to see more mature bucks or, or what, does, what led to you starting to make that trip? Okay, so um, the first year I went hunting, uh, my dad used to hunt when I was a kid. Um, I never went with him, kind of too young, I guess. But um, so my dad kind of helped me out. Uh, we ha- we have uh, farmland out in Illinois, and I have about 40 acres of wooded. And then uh, the family that does my dad's farming, he has about 160 acres wooded. And it's agriculture country out, you know, in Illinois where I hunt. So it's pretty much hunting a lot of windbreaks and stuff out there. But um, 
back to the question. Um, I hunted here in Virginia, like late season with my dad's rifle and kind of trying to figure out, you know, ways I can hunt other places and, uh, ways to access more, more places to hunt so I can go out and try to figure things out, you know, less pressured. And so I started looking into archery and I went to a few shops and picked up a few bows and shot a, shot a bunch and kind of got some tips from the archery shop on, you know, form and everything. And, uh, so I ended up buying one late season that year. And then the next year, you know, the whole summer leading up to the next season, um, I had been talking to my dad about wanting to go out to Illinois to hunt the, our family land. And so I started planning that out and talked to the farmer's family and, uh, set that up to go out there for, um, for that season and ended up going out there and meeting the, the guys that I hunt with out there now. And, we just headed off and really quicked right off the bat. And they took, kind of took me under their wing because uh, uh, my dad had given them permission to, to hunt our land uh, way back when I was little. So they, they felt it was right to kind of invite me in and, and uh, let me hunt, hunt with them. That's you great. Know? That's great. So was the f- how many years did you go to Illinois before you killed this buck? Or was it, is it that first year you got to go down there? Um, it was actually, I'd been there twice before, uh, this previous season. So, uh, the first year I went out there, I ended up, uh, getting a good lesson on, uh, on archery and, you know, your angles of your shot. Um, I had a nice buck come in on me. I got, uh, got a little bit of buck fever going on when he came in and the way that, uh, he came in, he kind of came like right under the stand pretty much and. I didn't think about the exit of the arrow and I ended up one lunging them. And, uh, so that was my first bad experience, uh, mm-hmm. with, uh, bow hunting, which, uh, taught me a valuable lesson. And uh, one that I think about every time, you know, I draw back on a, on a deer. Yeah. So, so what did you do from that point on then? I, I kind of looking into a little bit of your background and stuff. It seems like you take archery pretty serious now. A lot of practice. I saw, you talking about practicing even out to a hundred yards. Um, yeah. sounds like you've really yep. put a lot of work into, into figuring that all out. Is that right? Yeah. So another, you know, another outlet that I, I really uh, got into was, uh, John Dudley's knock on TV. Oh, yeah. Um, he's like, you know, he's the, the guru of the archery real world. I feel like, um, so yeah, I, I paid a lot of attention to him and watched a lot of his stuff and, uh, me and my buddies would be challenging ourselves out, you know, shooting at different distances, just having fun. And, and that's where I got into kind of longer range shooting and, and, uh, and just having fun with it, honestly. Yeah. And I got to believe, right. I've, I've always imagined and thought from my experience that if you get competent shooting extremely long ranges while just practicing yeah. it makes those closer 30 40 yard shots or even 20 yard shots makes those so easy or easier at least in the moment when you know you can stretch it out in practice right it just prepares you even better exactly yep that's that's my whole uh philosophy is you know you shoot out farther and feel a lot easier about those those other shots o'reilly auto parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from 
car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know, super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. You just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Yeah. So you, you start heading to Illinois. You've got some new friends now that, that are hunting that farm with you. And this massive buck shows up on trail camera. And as I understand it, it was for several years, they were getting some pictures. In 2017, he was a giant. So you knew this, this giant buck was out there. In 2018, he's back, and he's obviously next level. What were right. you thinking? What were you and your buddies thinking when you saw this buck on trail camera and you knew that you might be hunting him? Was this something that was exciting? Was it stressful? I'm wondering because like, just for me, you know, in Michigan, I had a, the biggest buck I've ever been able to hunt, and Michigan showed up last year. And it was really exciting, but at the same time, I was like, oh, my gosh, it was like a whole new level of pressure, this like kind of once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me here in Michigan. And that was a very different experience for me. Did that feel in, you know, different at all for you when you have that kind of buck around? Yeah, so I was more excited. You know, it's kind of like almost – I thought of that, about it like kind of winning the lottery. Like all these thoughts run through my head, like what if I did this? You know, what – uh, you know, what would happen, like, you know, would it be life-changing or whatever? I wasn't really nervous because, honestly, I didn't really think I'd ever see him. Pretty much uh, stayed nocturnal the previous years. And uh, my buddy Justin, he had a shot at him the previous year, but Zara deflected off a branch, and he didn't he didn't show up anymore. But, yeah, I was honestly just more excited and just the thought of, you know, being able to put a tag on him. Um, kept me up quite a few nights. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> Especially the, the days leading to, but I wasn't really too nervous because, you know, I just 
it's one of those things where if he comes around, he comes around. If he doesn't, then, you know, I'm still enjoying the outdoors. Yeah, that's a good attitude to have. Well, then it, it happens, right? The, the 2018 season is there. Let's start like you make your trip out there. Walk me through right. what happened once you arrived in Illinois for your 2018 trip. Um, walk me through the story. All right. So I headed out there November 1st. And uh, it was pretty much raining the whole entire drive out there. It's about a 10-hour drive from where I'm at in Virginia to to uh, eastern Illinois. And uh, so it was raining the whole time. And I was thinking in my head, I was actually listening to a podcast on the way out there, like I do every year. And then <laughs> That's great. Um, I get uh, – I'm thinking in my head, you know, you're talking to – I forget what podcast you're um, – what uh what guess you had on or what was going on but uh i just remember you know he's you know there's gonna be a lot of deer coming around freshening scrapes up uh you know after the frame and so i was hoping it would continue raining uh, up until the next day when i could actually get out and hunt and uh i get to illinois it's still like kind of drizzling um i meet up with justin he got off of work and we rode around uh and uh, pulled some cards from the cameras and just talked about a lot of things, mainly about Mufasa and and uh, how the weather is going to be uh, for the next week or so. And then we were talking about stand locations and everything. And we headed back to the house. He went. He went uh, to his house. I stayed at the uh, his uh, his father-in-law's house. So later on that evening, uh, he checked some of the he checked some of the cameras. Um, I believe he had some more pictures of Mufasa on them from uh the last time he checked when we first uh got pictures of them we ended up picking our stands that night uh i chose to sit on my 40 acres uh they sat closer to where they had pictures of them uh justin and ron uh they're the two uh son-in-laws of the farmer they chose to sit uh pretty close to where they had pictures of them um i decided to sit on my 40 acres just because they had been you know, I didn't want to put any pressure on them to, you know, sit in, like, their spots. Like, they've been the ones running the cameras and hanging stands and cutting shooting lanes and everything, you know, while I'm here in Virginia. So I just felt it was right that, uh, you know, I don't try to intrude, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I sat on my 40 acres and I was uh, had a few days coming that morning. What was that spot like, by the way? What was the the spot you picked? What was the setup? So, the the morning uh, I, I shot him in the evening, but the the morning where I sat, it was just uh, um, it was actually um, pretty close to a doe bed. Um, pretty much almost I don't know, maybe thirty yards from a, a big doe bed. A lot of over overgrown grass and. Um, kind of some immature trees. I had a few does, about like four or five does come in that morning, coming uh, coming to bed, and uh, no bucks were trailing them. So it's a nice spot. It's like, a, it's got a nice uh, creek that runs through it, makes a U, a U shape, and um, a lot of deer will cross the creek and come over and come up this uh, embankment and come and check the, the doe bed. Okay. So, Quite a distance from where, you know, Mufasa, his area was. But, yeah, okay. I, I, I just figured I'd sit there. If, you know, if good-sized buck came to, like, I had it in my head that, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, 
I wouldn't be able to, I, I didn't think I was going to be putting eyes on Mufasa. Yeah, so, so what were your goals? The, I was just going to shoot the, the first mature buck I saw. Okay. And, and uh, so that morning I didn't, you know, I just saw the does, um, about four or five does come into the bedding area and and uh, uh, settle in in there. And uh, about like 10 o'clock in the morning or 10.30, we decided to get down and, and uh, go get some breakfast and discuss some more stands and uh, meet up with Ron and and uh, talk with him and Justin. So we go we go to breakfast. Um, they're in, uh, uh, at a cafe, kind of about like twenty minutes away. And uh, I forget what John, Ron, and uh, and uh, and Justin had to do. I think they had to do something at their houses or something. And so. Um, well, at, well, I'll go back to at breakfast. So we were discussing stand locations, and um, Justin had pointed one out to me on the map that I didn't have marked on my uh, on my GPS. And uh, he said the stand's been there for about five years, and uh, they haven't moved it. And they're talking about taking it down, but nobody sat in it in about five years or so. So. Um, that one kind of stuck out to me. It had good wind for that day or that evening sit. Um, I kept that in the back of my mind. So after that, after breakfast, um, I headed back to uh, back back to uh, the farmer's house and was getting ready for the evening sit. And we're all texting each other which stands we're going to go to. I believe Ron chose first. He wanted to sit close to where we had pictures of him, that camera where Mufasa was moving. Then... Um, I picked next and I picked the same stand that Ron picked because I was confused on what stand he was talking about. And Justin said, Hey, uh, Ron, you know, Ron had chose that one. So I was thinking about what my next move was. And I told the guys, Hey, I'm going to go sit in that stand that hadn't been sat in in five years. And it's like a mile south of where they were at. It had good wind. It was like a northwest wind, kind of a creek bottom. Perfect wind for for movement going uh, west to east, east to west. Okay. Yeah, I told them I, I was going to sit in that stand. They're they're fine with that. Justin says another stand that was kind of close to where Ron was sitting. I get out there a little bit earlier than them, like about an hour, hour, hour and a half or so. So uh, I pull up to the the access road. I park my truck. I get dressed, start making my way towards the cutting across the cornfield, making a beeline straight for the the, the woods. And because uh, I hadn't been to that stand before, I was kind of confused as to where it was at. And I'm looking at my GPS, I'm looking up in the trees, and it was actually hidden in this beautiful offsage orange tree that was just wicked. It had vines everywhere, it was awesome concealment. And uh, I actually walked across the trail that Mufasa uh, came in on um, quite a few times just looking for the stand. <laughs> and uh, so, I, so I found the stand. I get up in there, and I'm getting settled and hang my bow up and just getting settled. And I start uh, ranging everything around me, try to get an idea of, like, uh, you know, the just different ranges so that I can keep that in the back of my head. And while I'm doing that, I noticed a scrape, uh, 
like right off the the deer trail um and i ranged that at 26 yards i kept that in the back of my head and started ranging other things and um so i I got an idea of you know what what uh yardages i'm gonna be shooting at from that from that tree stand and so uh uh, I sit there for about uh, probably about three or four hours, and I, uh, I start catching some movement off to the east. And it's about two days. They're coming in, and they're acting a little weird. Um, I thought maybe the wind was swirling a little bit down there, and maybe they caught wind of me. And that's why they're kind of high-stepping and bobbing their heads, you know, kind of cautiously walking, you know, towards me from from east to west and then uh so i lose them in the thicket i'm watching them through my binos i I lost them in the thicket um so i bring down my binos and i look or i catch some more movement to my left it's like i don't know 30 yards from me and it's mufasa he's coming in and he's walking on the trail that i just trudged all over um (laughs) looking for the stand oh, man. and he's making his way over to the scrape that I ranged at 26 yards. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, Oh my God, it's him. And I'm like, I just kind of froze and I snapped out of it. And I was like, all right, I got to do something. I got to do something. <laughs> and I look at his rack and I, I was like, all right, I can't look at his rack anymore. I yeah. got to focus on his body. I picked the point. So I picked a, a spot on his body that I wanted to shoot at, and I just focused on that. So I, by then he, by the time he gets to the scrape, I've already hung up my binos. I grab, um, grab my bow, and I'm being really smooth and you know, very cautious about every movement I make. And uh, so he pawed up the dirt about I don't know a couple of times, three or four times, and uh, by then. Uh, I get the full draw and I'm still going, I'm going through all everything, my checklist in my head of how I need to make the shot. Um, you know, everything that I need to do to make a good shot. And, uh, so I get the full draw and I'm, I've got my pen settled on them. You know, my bubbles is, is good. Uh, I got my anchor points. Everything's perfect. I've looked at, uh, I made sure my arrow is going to clear any branches or any limbs that may deflect my arrow. And he starts flicking the branch above him. And that's when I, I squeeze my release and, and, and let it eat. And uh, it hit him. It made a pretty loud noise. Um, I thought I had actually hit his uh, shoulder blade. And uh, it it looked like a good shot, but that noise kind of got in the back of my mind, like because uh-huh. I shoot an expandable, you know, mechanical, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I was just nervous. I was nervous about it, but at the same time, the shot looked good. It felt good. So it was in the back of my mind. He takes off and uh, crosses this creek, and I hear uh, he he runs through the thicket or past the thicket and. I hear loud crash and I didn't know if he had run into, you know, a log or something, made it, maybe fell, got up, walked off, whatever. So I sit there and I'm, you know, thinking about everything in my head that just happened, trying to calm myself down. And 
I'm texting the guys, telling them what happened, you know, just shot me pasta. Um, everyone's in disbelief and like, are you serious? Are you sure? <laughs> and, so I'm up in the tree. I just shot me pasta. Um, I pulled up my binos and I'm like checking for blood, uh, looking for blood anywhere around that scrape that he was just at. And I'm not seeing anything. Um, when he took, oh yeah, when he took off, his the arrow was pinwheeling. Um, it it had actually the arrow had penetra- penetrated all the way through him, but when he took off, he snapped the arrow in half inside of him, and the broadhead side went flying somewhere, and I saw the the knock into the arrow spinning, doing a, a pinwheel as he took off, and so it kind of uh, made me a little uneasy mm-hmm. um, seeing that. So what a few things just before you go any further. Yeah. How how did you keep so dang collected when he was coming in like that and you were able to stay focused and like think through your checklist and making sure those things are all spot on before taking the shot? Um I mean that's that's a hard thing to do with any buck, let alone this buck. Did you have to were you doing a lot of self-talk? Did you have to ever like control your breathing? I mean, I don't know what could be going on physically, but I got to believe maybe some shakes or some seriously fast uh, heart pumping. Was that a thing? Or were you just like, for whatever reason, you were in that Zen mode and it just worked out perfectly? Yeah, it's uh, the thing. I didn't have to watch him come in. If I had to watch him come in, my arrow would probably be in the next county. <laughs> So I, I when I first saw him, he was at 30 yards. So I didn't really have time to watch him. You know, I didn't I didn't have time for all that nervousness. And That's a good thought, point. You know, to kind of cloud my mind. Um. So yeah, I just kind of went in autopilot mode. Yeah. And just focused on his body and uh, told myself I have to make this happen. I have to make this happen. Yeah. That's great, man. I. Uh, I wish I could be that cool. I'm I'm still trying to figure out how to get better at that myself. Um so so you get the shot, you're a little nervous about it. Um you text your buddies. What's your mental state at this point? Did you now lose it? Did you lose your cool calm collectedness and freak out or were you just nervous or how, at this point like are you allowing yourself to be happy? What are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah, so I did a few fist pumps, you know, I still have that nervousness, but I did a few fist pumps and uh, I texted the buddy, my buddies and kind of asked them, you know, what, what next step should I do? Should I be getting down in a half an hour and kind of checking out the scene, like where I shot him, or should I go to the truck and come back in like an hour or two, you know, give him some time. Um, I they said they're going to come down to me here shortly. So I was just like, all right, well, I'll just I'll wait in the tree for a half an hour and get down and head to the truck and maybe meet them there. I get down from the the tree. I couldn't take it. I had to go and check them out and check out the, <laughs> the area. I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, so I snuck up over there and uh, I'm looking for blood. I'm not seeing anything. And... uh it made me just feel back to the same sick feeling I had when after I saw my arrow pinwheeling around, you know, pinwheeling around him. I'm like, all right, well, let me at least find the arrow. I'm uh, 
walked about like 10 yards from where I shot him and the direction he went. And I find the arrow is snapped in half. Uh, it's missing a good, I don't know, nine inches, 10 inches of the arrow. And uh, it's got about 12 inches of blood on it, on the arrow. And I'm seeing a little bit of blood um, on the on the foliage on the on the ground, and uh, I start following that a little bit. Um, wasn't very big, wasn't wasn't too much. I walk about another I don't know five yards to the creek. They jumped across, and I see his footprint there, and uh, I pick my head up, and I'm just kind of glassing left to right. And, uh, I see a big rack sticking up and I'm like, there's no way, there's no way that's him. And I was just like, instantly pulled out my phone, texted the guys, I got eyes on them and they're all telling me congratulations and everything. And, uh, I put my phone back in my pocket and I, I knock another arrow and I start creeping my way over to him. Um, being as quiet as I can. Uh, if he was, you know, if he was just bedded down because he was injured or something, I didn't want to, didn't want to jump him. Or if I, if I did, I'd want a, a follow up shot. Mm-hmm. So I get, uh, start making my way over to him and, and confirmed he was down for good and did my celebration and, and sat down with him and just checked him out and, Thanked him for uh, for uh, everything he had, you know, done for me and the guys. All the excitement over the few years, and you know, the the meat uh, well was provided to my me and my family. So, yeah. what was that like? Was that was it was it any different than any other deer you killed, or was it the same like you described? The gratitude, um, excitement, I'm sure. But what all was going through your mind at that point? I I was honestly in disbelief. I was just uh, I don't know. It was just it was uh, it was weird. It was uh, it was kind of a weird feeling. It was um, it was uh, it was something else. Um, yeah, uh, it's hard to describe. It was it was kind of sad, you know. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I. My buddies have been chasing them too. I kind of felt bad for them. Uh, uh, I was kind of sad that you know this kind of this mythical creature that you know has been so hard to to put a tag on. Um, he's not going to be chasing them more. And yeah. I was pumped. You know, I was excited. Uh, you know, I was excited. Kind of felt a little drunk uh, right after I walked up on him. Or, you yeah. Know. Uh, I was picking when I picked up his uh when I was checking him out, looking at the rack and everything. I noticed a fresh break, and um, so I was kind of thinking about that as well. Like, uh, all right, well, I noticed this, and I'm pretty sure he had something right here, and it was it was pretty fresh. So I decided to retrace my steps, and by by the time he had jumped over the creek, his uh. The entrance and exit wound really opened up, and it was just like a huge red carpet all the way to him, from the creek to to him. So, started uh, backtracking and following his trail, 
um, about like, I don't know, five yards, five, ten yards from him was a tree that he ran into. That was the loud crash I heard. And uh, he had broken off that that uh, was that uh, big club drop time. Uh, he had snapped that off um, when he crashed. So I ended up finding that at the base of the tree. And it matched up perfectly with the fresh break. And so I was able to keep that. And Pope and Young was able to, to count that and score, which definitely benefited. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's for anyone who's not seen pictures of the deer, it is, it's a wildly unique, uh, animal. I mean, uh, yeah. how do you even try to, how do you even try to describe that to someone? I mean, if someone's like, uh, yeah, what did it look like? It looks like a, a tree root system, you yeah. know? Yeah. A root ball. Um, it's just, uh, it's unreal. He put on uh, over a hundred inches this year. I don't know if it's because they switched from, in the field from corn to beans because it had been, or from uh, corn to beans because it had been corn like the previous two years or something like that. I don't know what it was, but he, obviously he had the genetics. He was showing the potential last year. He had some non-typical um, points coming off, but, I mean, he just blew up. Yeah. I over mean, just a crazy crazy unique animal and beautiful i mean just a really really special creature yeah what happens after this that's something that like i i I understand what it feels like to see a a big animal come in that you've been thinking about for years or weeks and weeks and weeks. I know what that excitement's like. I know what it's like to walk up on a deer and put your hand on his chest and have that gratitude and that sorrow yeah. and that excitement. I know what that feels like. Um, what I don't know about is what happens after you have an experience like that with such a rare, like a world-class animal that, that no one has ever seen before or killed before like this. What starts happening next? I mean, did people show up at your door that night? Were there, were there, I mean, what, what happened over the next day or the next couple hours? Describe to me the, what I'm guessing was maybe some hysteria of some kind. Did that happen? Yeah. Uh, like the social media outrage and yeah. What, uh, what goes on? Crazy. Yeah. So I don't have Facebook. I, kind of deleted that like a year two years before um this had all happened so this has been on instagram really so i sent the pictures to my buddy after it happened um here in virginia and he posted it on a page and it just made its rounds to pretty much every archery or you know every hunting page or a lot of the hunting pages and um i guess the game warden was getting a lot of emails uh, saying you need to go check this deer out, check this out. So that night I went to bed. Well, one of uh, my Justin's buddies, you know, he'd been telling Justin, hey, you guys need to keep that deer locked up and keep it secured. So it's kind of like there's a few crazy people out there and you just don't want something, you know, like that getting, you know, stolen or, or destroyed or something because yeah. of jealousy or something like that. So... I ended up locking them up, and uh, I went bed. I went to bed that night. Well, tried to. <laughs> I probably only slept about like maybe two hours. Um, just the excitement, everything that had just happened, it just 
kept replaying everything over in my head. And, um, so the next day or the next morning, uh, Justin asked me if I wanted to have one of his, uh, his buddies come out or his dad's, his dad's buddy, uh, come out and take some good photos with his, with his camera. And I said, yeah, let's do that. Let's go ahead and, uh, get that planned. Um, so we took some pictures around like nine o'clock and we we're getting, uh, getting some good field pictures, the, the, or the, some good hero pictures. Uh, some of the field pictures, I guess there's a lot of people complaining about there being too much blood and stuff like that. So, uh, I got some good, uh, good hero pics. And, um, uh, next thing I know, I, the game warden's pulling down the driveway and, uh, uh, I just got done taking some pictures with him and started talking to the game warden. He's checking everything out, make sure everything's, you know, on the up and up and everything was and, uh, made sure everything was good. And after that, um, uh, I started trying to figure out, you know, wh- where do I go next? Uh, get a taxidermist and get him caped and, and, uh, ready for that. And, get them to the processor was this it, it throughout that process was that was it still fun or did it start getting stressful like when the game were just, yeah. was that a stressful situation yeah. yeah even though you're you know you know you're you did everything you're supposed to and you're all cleared you, you checked on everything you know um you're still nervous yeah i mean i'm you sure just, you, you know it, it's just one of those things that uh no matter if you're in the right, you're still going to feel like there's something that you can do wrong. You know, oh, yeah, it's like you're, you're driving down the road. Stories. Oh yeah. yeah. You hear all these horror stories about people and, you know, things that, uh, you know, some game warns games that they might play or something, but all in all, I had a great experience with the, the game wardens out there. They're all nice and they're, they're fair. They're good, good guys. That's great. So, so you got you got all checked out of the game board and everything's cleared. Yeah, getting... yeah, that was a that was probably the best thing that had happened because you know everyone on social media, not everyone, but there's a handful of people on social media saying he's a high fence deer and this and that. And the game warden came by and took pictures of him and got the story and took pictures of his ears because if there's a you know if there's a hole in his ear, then that would mean he had a tag and he's you know high fence came from a high fence place. So he got his proof that he needed to, for um, to put out a statement to the public saying, "Hey, it's a free range deer." That's so. great. That's great. That must have been just a, a nice relief, so that you didn't have to have that criticism. And I gotta believe right. your situation is so interesting to me um, because just in doing what I do, like just sharing my stories and my pictures and everything through social media for Wired Hunt and telling stories on the podcast and everything, just putting myself out there to that degree, I get so much flack for stuff. There's so many comments where people nitpick what I did or disagree with what I did or question what I did. And a big thing for me over the last few years is that happens more and more is I've had to learn how to deal with like public critique. And I've had to, in some cases, like just stop listening to stuff. Like there's certain places I know if someone shares my video on, I don't know, certain places I know there's going to be people in that audience who don't like me as much or whatever. And they're going to critique me for this thing or that thing. And I've, I've had to just start to 
not look at stuff because the because yeah. yeah. it impacts me. It, it, like it negatively influences my mood for a couple hours or ruins my night, and I don't need that. So I've had to like try to find ways to avoid that. Did you have to deal with that at all? Did did the social media stress and comments and public opinion did that ever get to a point that it was negatively impacting you, stressing you out? Like, how do you deal with that? Because I gotta believe there's a whole lot of talk going on around this, right? Yeah. So at first, I was like, I didn't care at all. I was like, whatever. This means that I did something good, and people are jealous and hating. You know, people are gonna hate or you know try to downplay. You know, something awesome that happened. Yeah. I get. I. I mean, I get the people questioning things because if I if I was in their shoes, I would have been like. Uh, that probably would have been the first thought that had popped into my head without reading or hearing a story or anything or knowing anything about it. It's like, is that a high fence deer? So I get that some people, but I mean, even after the story's out, you know, the game warden gave his, you know, his thumbs up and, and everything that, you know, all the proof that's out there, you know, uh, I figured it would start, shut a lot of people up but you know you still get it or i still get it uh every now and then but i guess it's just one of those things and yeah at first it didn't bother me at all but then after a little while and kept hearing it and kept getting it and there's been a lot of people that have had my back and you know pretty much vouched for me and vouched for the deer and everything so it's nice to have that that support but oh yeah yeah, it kind of it kind of bothered me a little bit, but now it's just like whatever. I just keep on uh, scrolling past it. Keep on keeping. So, uh, yeah, I think they pretty much just want um, want attention or something. I don't yeah. know. Now, so what? A, just not give it to them. Yeah, that's a very good point. Now, what about the regular media? Not social media, but actual reporters, magazines. Uh, I don't know. I mean, podcasters like me. Did that start? happening right away where people reaching out to you or what what's that look like uh, what happens it, in that kind of situation so i guess like the first few weeks is kind of heavy a little bit um people want to get a hold of me from magazines and, and stuff like that different publications uh um just a you know a handful of people want to get a hold of me about everything and uh kind of put it on hold for a little bit because just wanted to kind of settle in and figure things out. Um, put a lot of it on pause. Just figured I'd just take it slow. Didn't really do, want to do too much until after the score. Um, so, yeah, it, was, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I figured it was, you know, I'd have everyone and their mother coming out after me for something or, or yeah. other, but it really wasn't too bad. I guess for a lot of people that I've been talking to recently, they um, kind of said they wanted to wait till the dust settled to, to get a hold of me. So kind of got like a second wave, like quite a few months later, just like, okay, here's another wave coming in of, of uh, you know, people that want to get some information or do a story or, or whatever. Yeah. So did you, did you find out pretty quickly that, hey, this is probably the – largest the highest scoring deer ever killed like was that something that you knew pretty quickly when someone scored it and did that did that like sink into you what did that mean to you did that 
was that like a thing like, oh, well, that's cool. But either way, it's a massive, like amazing experience in deer. Or was it like, did that change things somehow in your head? And this became like a holy shit moment. Like, what was that like? Yeah. So I think because I'm, you know, I'm fairly new to hunting. Um, I mean, I grew up around it, but I didn't really get into hunting until like, I don't know, five, six years ago. So I'm still kind of new to it. And, um, it didn't really sink in. Like, you know, benches didn't really matter to me, I guess. It was more about like the maturity of the deer. Yeah. Yeah. By the time I shot them. So, I mean, I was just happy to put like a buck of that caliber down. You know, I didn't really care about benches or if he was a world record or anything. And, and so I didn't really, I don't know. I wasn't too hung up on that, that whole thing. Um, I was just pumped to have, you know, a good mature buck down. It's my second, honestly, my second book, buck with a bow. That's awesome. Believe it or not. So it's, way, it's a great way to get started. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, where do I go from now though? <laughs> yeah. Well, that is, that is the question. Like yeah. how, how did this, so you, you kill this once in a lifetime for all of us buck. Where do you go from now? Did you like, where, what are your, where's your head at? for 2019 i've got a bunch more questions that i want to still get tackled about what happened right after the buck but since you brought that up where's your head at leading into this season um i don't know how do you follow that up what are you trying what do you do you want to shoot a mature buck do you want to shoot a big buck do you i don't know i have no idea what's got to be going through your mind so pretty much um yeah i gotta fill the freezer first and foremost um I don't really buy meat at the store ever, really. I just eat, you know, what I what I get from the field. Um so first is fill the freezer, um, tag a few does, um, go out to Illinois and uh try to put a mature buck down. Um got a few good ones on camera now. I mean if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, but I plan on kind of uh I wanna go out west. You know, not this year because I pretty much um, used up all my vacation from work, you know, doing things with Mufasa, going to a few shows and whatnot. So getting scored, I've just been back and forth across the country so much this year. Uh, probably put about 20,000 miles on my truck so far. And Jeez. Burned, burned through a lot of vacation. So yeah. um, uh, my plan for you know, next year after this season, the following season is uh, I want to go to Idaho and, you know, go, go hunting out West, get, get that experience. Yeah. Cause to me, hunting is more about like the experience. Um, I, I mean, I love chasing white tails, but there's just so much more, you know, I, I want to experience. So, I love it. I love it. I think you're, I think you're right on. And I'm really glad that someone with that perspective is who killed a buck like like the one you did. Um, that's pretty cool. How do you, how is this, this inside look that you've gotten to get at the, at the, you've heard, if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard us talk about this, like the, the kind of big buck media frenzy around high scoring antlers, right? Sometimes we talk about like, does it go overboard? Is there a negative side to this at all? You have now gotten thrust right into the middle of that. As a relatively new bow hunter, all of a sudden you kill the highest scoring deer that's ever been killed by a hunter. You're surrounded by media. People are 
wanting your picture. People are wanting your interviews. They're doing stories about you. People, I'm sure they want you, you know, shooting their bow or using this thing or using that thing. What, now that you've lived it, how do you feel about it? Do you feel like it's, is it cool? Do you feel like there's a negative side to it? Do you feel like it's a just a great positive thing? I'm just kind of curious about coming out of this, how it feels to you. Uh, there's several things. It's, it's kind of like picking up a second job. So I'm kind of, kind of a little bit overwhelmed with everything right now. Um, but on the, another thing is it's awesome to be able to share this beer with so many other people. I love going to shows and just talking to, you know, regular people, regular hunters that just like to get out there. And, you know, I love conversating with them and meeting new people. That's, that's probably one of the most positive things I've gotten out of the experience, you know, since since uh, putting a tag on them is going out and just talking to people and and uh, just sharing the experience and letting them enjoy, you know, what God has put on this earth for us to enjoy, you know. That's great. From God's creation, so. Um, yeah. That's awesome. That's probably the big positive right there. Just being able to be the guy that gets to share such a such an awesome awesome creature. That's uh that's an amazing privilege. Now, have there been any downsides to it other than it just taking up a lot of your time? Um, anything that you experienced, like man, that that was kind of icky. Anything like that? Um, no, not really. Um, Good. It takes up a lot of time. Um, yeah, just uh, yeah, it's pretty much it. it. Just sucks a lot of time, time away from family, and and uh, might put a little bit of a uh, short in my hunting season this year. But I mean, it's worth it. Yeah, it's uh, plenty more years to come. So that's true. I guess you. This is this probably isn't going to happen again. So you might as well uh, soak it all in and really cherish this whole experience i gotta believe yeah but you know you you never know i mean <laughs> you never nobody know. thought you never thought nobody thought you know the bb bug is gonna get broken so that's true or even the tucker buck so i mean it could happen to anybody you know yeah that's the truth do you feel like do you feel like you've changed at all coming out of this did this force you to change to grow to i mean maybe in hunting or maybe even outside of that. I just got to believe this is, yeah. this is probably a life changing experience. I'm just curious how it has changed your life. Um, I learned that I need to get more comfortable with being on the camera or just, I don't know, just, um, dealing with media type things. I don't know. It's kind of a little bit overwhelming at first because I'm just some, you know, some, nobody you know from virginia and then i get thrusted into this big limelight and got cameras pointing at me everywhere and doing all this other stuff it's yeah a little overwhelming um yeah i mean more more time you know i'm around it the more comfortable i'll get but it was one of those things i learned that you know i need a that that i need to grow to uh to to deal with i guess yeah do you feel like this is something now having gotten all this attention, I guess, around this deer, 
and this experience. Do you are you are you do you want more of that? Like, do you hope that hey, you know, I'm going to get another big buck and I'll get to share that story? And like, you 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 express that you enjoy getting to share that experience and share that buck with other people, and like that was a cool thing for you. So you're excited for more of that, or are you feeling like you know what? I'm kind of looking forward to eventually just like fading back into the shadows and getting my privacy back. Like, where are you on that one? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think about that from time to time, just like kind of uh, flying back in the shadows and just going out and hunting, you know, just for my, you know, my own peace and and just doing my own thing. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, if I thought about maybe filming some hunts in the future, just for if not, you know, to share on with other people or just to have for myself, you know, just to share with buddies and and stuff like that so i don't know it's kind of up in the air like where what i want to do now i don't know yeah it's a good position but, uh, to be in you can try new things and and i gotta believe some cool opportunities have come out of this too um yeah which which has got to be fun yeah yeah so what about from a hunting standpoint um like you said kind of lightning struck and this crazy thing happened to you, but you obviously made some right decisions along the way too. Some was luck, some was being prepared for that luck to arrive. Um, but right. now when you look back on the hunt itself and you look back on the situation and the couple of years you've been going out there, did you learn anything from this experience from a hunting standpoint that now in 2019 you're going to be putting into action in some kind of way with your future hunts? Um... I haven't really thought about that. Um, uh, Do you ever think about why? Do you ever think about why he was there? Like what what led him to want to be there? Because I'm always kind of interested. Like I'll shoot a buck and then I'll sit back and say, okay. And this doesn't happen until long afterwards. Because <laughs> when it just happens, I'm just excited and happy it happened. But long afterwards, I'll sit back and say, why did that happen? You know, I, I set my stand there. I decided to hunt there because I thought something would happen. But what actually ended up being the case? And then I'll kind of sit there and BS with myself and try to think, well, he was coming from this direction. I bet you he was trying to do this. Or that doe walked in, and that's why he was there. Did you ever get a couple quiet minutes to think back on that and, and kind of say, you know what, I think he ended up coming in here because he was moving here to, I don't know, wind a bedding area, or do you think he was just on a scrape line? Or what do you think? Right. So he... um. He doesn't ever show up. We don't have any summer pictures of him. He doesn't, we don't know where he summers at. Um, he always shows up late October. Always shows up late October. And that's when we start getting pictures of him on camera. Um, so he just shows up pretty much for the rut. And then uh, after the season's over, he disappears. And, you know, we don't see him again until next, 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 uh, next season right before the rut so it's kind of uh one of those things he's just he lives somewhere else and comes over to chase the does around on the property and and gets out of there so i think what he was doing is he was bedded down uh we actually got pictures of him the morning that i um the morning of the day i shot him so he was headed down from where the guys were sitting um they passed a few cameras. He was actually walking the, the field edge um, out in the open around like 8 or 9 in the morning, 8, 
he was like right below where the guys were at. Wow. And, uh, he was headed down towards, well, head, headed towards me where I sat that evening. And, uh, I guess he was going down to going somewhere. He felt safe to bed down. So it was close to where, you know, some other does were at. And so I think he bedded down on this point kind of close to where I was sitting. I must've passed, passed them on the way to the stand. And when I got to the stand, um, a few hours went by, he got up and started making his rounds to different scrapes and, and, uh, just freshening things up, freshening his, uh, getting his scent back out there. And then there you were <laughs> to ruin yeah, his day. <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. what a, what a hunt. What a, I just, I just can't imagine what a, what an interesting experience this must've been for you. Now, now you're almost a year out from it. You've experienced the hunt itself. You've experienced the media hysteria around it. You've experienced all these additional events and things you've been going to and traveling the country and sharing the story with people. Um, sounds like there was some good stuff. There were some things that were stressful at moments too. Looking back on that part of things, is there anything you wish you'd done differently? Is there anything you wish you could go back and change um, or redo or anything? Or did it all go the way you kind of hoped? Um, it's all pretty much gone the way I hoped. I mean, um, yeah, I really can't complain. Um, that's great. Working with a few companies, we have the, you know, some of the products that I've used. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, well, luckily, you know, some of the, the companies, you know, the products that I use, they've been pretty awesome to me, uh, helped me out with, with a few things. So, Help me out for the future seasons. So. That's great. Yeah. That's terrific. Definitely a bonus to it. Oh, yeah. So so then my last question for you is probably an easy one, but I, I don't know. Maybe not. If you are sitting in a tree, let's say you're in a double ladder stand. And just, just, just roll with this with me. <laughs> let's right. say you're in a double ladder stand. You and your best friend are sitting in that ladder stand together. Your buddy... He's hunting. He's got the bow. You don't have a bow. You're not going to shoot. You're just sitting with him for the night. And a buck shows up half an hour before the end of shooting light, comes walking in, and he stands in front of your buddy at 20 yards, and this buck is obviously the largest whitetail that's ever been seen in the wild before. It's bigger than the buck you killed. And your buddy turns to you and he says, Hey, Luke, should I shoot him? What would you say? Would you say, no, all the craziness, the stress, all the time is going to take away from your family and friends, it's not worth it? Or will you say, yes, this is going to be the coolest thing that ever happened? Shoot. Hell yeah, shoot that. Shoot him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Definitely. Don't, don't, don't turn down that opportunity. Very cool. Awesome. Well, uh, Luke, I appreciate you taking the time to to share this whole experience. It's it's really cool that that someone who just loves to be out there hunting, wants to meet, wants to have a great experience, wants to, you know, every once in a while get a mature buck, that that someone like that was able to to capture lightning in a bottle and, and have a have a life changing experience like this and and share that story with people. So so thanks for doing that, Luke, and for sharing it with us. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me on. And 
I guess the only thing I want to know is uh, next time you've got one of these mega bucks in Illinois, will you just let me know about it so I can come down and check it out? <laughs> yeah, definitely. We'll do. All right, Luke. Well, good luck this season. I hope you have just as much fun in the uh, coming weeks as you did last year. Thank you. Good luck to you this season. Appreciate it. And that is a wrap. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this one. Long episode, two different unique topics, but uh, we covered a whole suite of different things that hopefully can be helpful, maybe insightful, and definitely interesting. Good luck to all of you out there hunting. Uh, Stay tuned to the Mediator YouTube channel for another episode of The Back 40 coming soon. And over on the Wired Hunt Instagram, I'll have lots of updates for my Boundary Waters hunt and all the other good stuff we got going on. So check it out. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.